Welcome to the Record of Our Forebears podcast. I'm your host, Roland Godet. And today we have a special episode um, with the July 4th Independence Holiday coming up. Um, I am going to read a portion of Frederick Douglass's famous 1852 speech, What to the Slave is the 4th of July. I appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, as we continue to dig into the history of the United States and some of its most uh, compelling figures. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoy. The fact is, ladies and gentlemen, the distance between this platform and the slave plantation from which I escaped is considerable, and the difficulties to be overcome in getting from the latter to the former are by no means slight. That I am here today is to me a matter of astonishment as well as gratitude. You will not, therefore, be surprised if in what I have to say I evince no elaborate preparation, nor grace my speech with any high-sounding exordium. With little experience and with less learning, I have been able to throw my thoughts hastily and imperfectly together. And trusting to your patient and generous indulgence, I will proceed to lay them before you. This, for the purpose of this celebration, is the 4th of July. It is the birthday of your national independence and of your political freedom. This, to you, is what the Passover was to the emancipated people of God. It carries your minds back to the day and to the act of your great deliverance and to the signs and to the wonders associated with that act and that day. This celebration also marks the beginning of another year of your national life and reminds you that the Republic of America is now 76 years old. I am glad, fellow citizens, that your nation is so young. 76 years, though a good age for a man, is but a mere speck in the life of a nation. Three score years and 10 is the allotted time for individual men, but nations number their years by thousands. According to this fact, you are even now only in the beginning of your national career still lingering in the period of childhood. I repeat, I am glad this is so. There is hope in the thought, and hope is much needed under the dark clouds which lower above the horizon. The eye of the reformer is met with angry flashes, portending disastrous times. But his heart may well beat lighter at the thought that America is young, and that she is still in the impressionable stage of her existence. May he not hope that high lessons of wisdom, of justice and of truth will yet give direction to her destiny. Were the nation older, the patriot's heart might be sadder and the reformer's brow heavier. Its future might be shrouded in gloom and the hope of its prophets go out in sorrow. There is consolation in the thought that America is young. Great streams are not easily turned from channels worn deep in the course of ages. There may sometimes rise in quiet and stately majesty 
and inundate the land, refreshing and fertilizing the earth with their mysterious properties. They may also rise in wrath and fury and bear away on their angry waves the accumulated wealth of years of toil and hardship. They, however, gradually flow back to the same old channel and flow on as serenely as ever. But while the river may not be turned aside, it may dry up and leave nothing behind but the withered branch and the unsightly rock to howl in the abyss sweeping wind and the sad tale of departed glory. As with rivers, so nations. Fellow citizens, I shall not presume to dwell at length on the associations that cluster about this day. The simple story of it is this. 76 years ago, the people of this country were British subjects. The style and title of your sovereign people was not then born. You were under the British crown. Your fathers esteemed the English government as the home government and England as the fatherland. This home government, you know, although a considerable distance from your home, did, in the exercise of its parental prerogatives, impose upon its colonial children such restraints, burdens, and limitations, as in its mature judgment it deemed wise, right, and proper. But your fathers, who had not adopted the fashionable idea of this day, of the infallibility of government, and the absolute character of its acts, presumed to differ from the home government in respect to the wisdom and the justice of some of those burdens and restraints. They went so far in their excitement as to pronounce the measures of government unjust, unreasonable, and oppressive, and altogether such as ought not to be quietly submitted to. I scarcely need to say, fellow citizens, that my opinion of those measures fully accords with that of your fathers. Such a declaration of agreement on my part would not be worth much to anybody. It would certainly prove nothing as to what part I might have taken had I lived during the great controversy of 1776. To say now that America was right and England was wrong is exceedingly easy. Everybody can say it. The dastard, not less than the noble brave, can flippantly discant on the tyranny of the English toward the American colonies. It is fashionable to do so. But there was a time when to pronounce against England and in favor of the cause of the colonies tried men's souls. They who did so were accounted in their day plotters of mischief, agitators and rebels, dangerous men. To side with the right against the wrong, with the weak against the strong, and with the oppressed against the oppressor. Here lies the merit and the one which, of all others, seems unfashionable in our day. The cause of liberty may be stabbed by the men who glory in the deeds of your fathers, but to proceed, feeling themselves harshly and unjustly treated by the home government, your fathers, like men of honesty and men of spirit, earnestly sought redress. They petitioned and remonstrated. They did so in a decorous, respectful, and loyal manner. Their conduct was wholly unexceptionable. This, however, did not answer the purpose. They saw themselves treated with sovereign indifference, coldness, and scorn. Yet they persevered. They were not the men to look back. On the 2nd of July, 1776, 
the old Continental Congress, to the dismay of the lovers of ease and the worshippers of property, clothed at the dreadful idea with all the authority of a national sanction. They did so in the form of a resolution. And as seldom hit upon resolutions drawn up in our day whose transparency is at all equal to this, it may refresh your minds and help my story if I read it. We solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. Citizens, your fathers made good that resolution. They succeeded. And today you reap the fruits of their success. The freedom gained is yours. And you, therefore, may properly celebrate this anniversary. The 4th of July is the first great fact in your nation's history. The very ring, bolt, in the chain of your yet undeveloped destiny. Pride and patriotism, not less than gratitude, prompt you to celebrate and to hold it in perpetual remembrance. I have said that the Declaration of Independence is the ring bolt to the chain of your nation's destiny. So, indeed, I regard it. The principles contained in that instrument are saving principles. Stand by those principles. Be true to them on all occasions, in all places, against all foes, and at whatever cost. Fellow citizens, I am not wanting in respect for the fathers of this republic. The signers of the Declaration of Independence were brave men. They were great men, too. Great enough to give fame to a great age. It does not often happen to a nation to raise at one time such a number of truly great men. The point from which I am compelled to view them is not certainly the most favorable, and yet I cannot contemplate their great deeds with less than admiration. They were statesmen, patriots, and heroes. And for the good they did and the principles which they contended, I will unite with you to honor their memory. Our eyes are met with demonstrations of joyous enthusiasm. Banners and pennants wave exultingly on the breeze. The din of business, too, is hushed. Even Mammon seems to have quitted his grasp on this day. The ear-piercing fife and the stirring drum unite their ascents with the ascending peal of a thousand church bells. Prayers are made, hymns are sung, and sermons are preached in honor of this day. Friends and citizens, I need not enter further into the causes which led to this anniversary. Many of you understand them better than I do. The causes which led to the separation of the colonies from the British crown have never lacked for a tongue. They have all been taught in your common schools, narrated at your firesides, unfolded from your pulpits and thundered in your legislative halls. They form the staple of your national poetry and eloquence. I remember also that as a people, 
Americans are remarkably familiar with all facts which make in their own favor. This is esteemed by some as a national trait, perhaps a national weakness. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often turred with their bones. Fellow citizens, pardon me. Allow me to ask, why am I called upon here to speak today? What have I or those who I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us? And am I therefore called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence to us? Fellow citizens, above your national tumultuous joy, I hear the mournful will of millions whose chains heavy and grievous yesterday today are rendered more intolerable by the jubilee shouts that reach them. To forget them, to pass lightly over their wrongs, and to chime in with the popular theme would be treason most scandalous and shocking and will make me a reproach before God and the world. My subject and fellow citizens is American slavery. I shall see this day and its popular characteristics from the slave's point of view, standing there identified with the American bondsman making his wrongs mine. I do not hesitate to declare with all my soul that the character and conduct of this nation never looked blacker to me than on this 4th of July. Whenever we turn to the declarations of the past or to the professions of the present, the conduct of the nation seems equally hideous and revolting. America's false to the past, false to the present, and solemnly binds herself to be false to the future. Standing with God and the crushed and bleeding slave on this occasion, I will in the name of humanity, which is outraged, in the name of liberty, which is fettered, in the name of the Constitution and the Bible, which are disregarded and trampled upon, dare to call in question and to denounce with all the emphasis that I can command everything that serves to perpetuate slavery, the great sin and shame of America. I will use the severest language I can command, and yet not one word shall escape me that any man whose judgment is not binded by prejudice or who is not at heart a slaveholder shall not confess to be fight and just. But I fancy I hear some of my audience say, is it just in this circumstance that you and your brother abolitionists failed to make a favorable impression on the public mind? Would you argue more and denounce less? Would you persuade more and rebuke less? Your cause will be much more likely to succeed. But I submit, where all is plain and there is nothing to be argued, what point in the anti-slavery creed would you have me to argue? On what branch of the subject do the people of this country need light? Must I undertake to prove the slave is a man? That point is conceded already. Nobody doubts it. The slaveholders themselves acknowledge it in the enactment of laws for their government. They acknowledge it when they punish disobedience on the part of the slave. 
There are 72 laws in the state of Virginia, which if committed by a black man, no matter how ignorant he may be, subject him to the punishment of death, while only two of the same crimes will subject a white man to the like punishment. What is this but the acknowledgement that the slave is a moral, intellectual, and responsible being? The manhood of the slave is conceded. It is admitted in the fact that Southern statute books are covered with enactments forbidding, under severe fines and penalties, the teaching of the slave to read or to write. When you can point to any such laws in reference to the beasts of the fields, then I may consent to argue the manhood of the slave. For the present, it is enough to affirm the equal manhood of the Negro race. It is not astonishing that while we are plowing, planting, and reaping, using all types of mechanical tools, erecting houses, constructing bridges, building ships, working in metals of brass, iron, copper, silver, and gold, that while we are reading, writing, and ciphering, acting as clerks, merchants, and secretaries, having among us lawyers, doctors, ministers, poets, authors, editors, orators, and teachers, that while we are engaged in all manners of enterprise common to other men, digging gold in California, capturing the well in the Pacific, feeding sheep and cattle on the hillside, living, moving, acting, thinking, planning, living in families as husbands, wives, and children, and above all, confessing and worshiping the Christian God, and looking hopefully for life and immortality beyond the grave, we are called upon to prove that we are men. What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is a constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty and unholy license, your national greatness swelling vanity. Your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Your denouncements of tyrants, brass fronted impotence, your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity are to him mere bombast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy, a thin veil to cover up crimes which would disgrace a nation of savages. There is not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour.